Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In this episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I was joined by Ryan Ferris. Calling from his current base in New Zealand, we talk about his journey so far, both musically and geographically. Ryan tells us about his adventures busking in Berlin and trying to make a living from that, as well as busking his way through 20 countries to date. We talk musical influences and transitioning from the folk singer-songwriter scene into Berlin's renowned electronic music scene, and how this change led him to start his own new project, Beacon Bloom. Ryan describes the project as fitting broadly into the genres of electronica and melodic house music, and there's a multitude of elements and influences that can be heard in the band's sound. We also touch on intentional events in Christchurch, and what other collaborative events are happening in the local art scene. Ryan's also a podcaster, and the good timeline is where he attempts to examine transhumanism through every possible lens. He's spoken to Harvard professors, scientists, musicians and artists about their respective fields, life and humanity. We discuss the meme space as well as some of the guests and subjects that will be appearing in forthcoming episodes. Highly recommended listening. Our top five features Robbie Williams, Noah Gunderson, The Staves, John Farnham with a mullet, The Funk House in Berlin and Not Getting Kanye or Beck. All this and sneaking into abandoned reservoirs in the name of rock and roll. Let's get right to it. Ryan Ferris. Well, yeah, when I was 19, I'm now 28. I was in a town in the south of New Zealand called Queenstown, and I met a German girl, and we quickly fell in love. And by the time I was 21, I decided to move to Germany. So I packed up my, my acoustic guitar... I'd managed to save 400 euros to my name and my media positions and I shipped myself over to Berlin on the, on the premise that I could busk my way to, to rent and, and living. And that was based on a, an experience I'd had on one of the main squares called Alexanderplatz. Alexanderplatz, which is like, it's like the main, one of the main central squares in, um, in Berlin. I'd taken this crappy busking app there played for, I don't know, half an hour and I'd made like 60 euros or 100 euros or something from all these tourists. So I thought, oh, this will be easy. You know? <laughs> right, yeah, poor. I could just do jackpot. this. Yeah, jackpot. I was like, <laughs> I could just do this a couple of times a week and I'll surely be able to survive like quite nicely. So I arrive in Berlin with my guitar and all that. My girlfriend at the time is already saying, you need to find your own place. You know, you're not staying with me. Okay. One of the first things I did actually over there was was purchase another guitar or might have been an amp or something. So I was already down 50 or 100 euros. And yeah, I went back to the same spot. It's like, sweet, I'll go back to the same spot. Easy, I'll make some money, make enough for a deposit for a house in a few days and I'll be fine. And I played for about 10 minutes and the police showed up and shut me down immediately. You can't play here. Okay. So, oh, that's fine. You know, surely somewhere else would be good. And I wandered around the whole city and and all of the good places where there are plenty of tourists, the police would Mm. immediately shut me down. And then the only places I could play without being disturbed were next to busy roads, uh, 
high, sort of high traffic, traffic areas, but so noisy that you couldn't actually get your music across to them. And so I ended up going from, you know, an average of, well, half an hour, 60 euros, 120 euros an hour to like 20 an hour, <laughs> um, if I was lucky, you know, which is pretty hard on the voice, you know, trying to, trying to slog that through. So I ended up living, I managed to get an apartment through a friend that was like 300 euros a month, like a, like kind of a shithole, but, but really cool in, in the same way. And a really old building with all of these crazy characters that <laughs> I should have been the craziest one as the, as the Auslander, the, the foreigner position right. in the building. But the other people in that building were just amazing. I could, I'm probably going to write a sitcom film, like a series <laughs> about it one day. So ended up managing, still managing to live from busking there for a few years, paying my rent and getting by and trying to write music at the same time. And yeah, had a lot of formative experiences there. Uh, yeah, some pretty intense experiences, some pretty good experiences. Yeah, so there was quite a big Berlin period. And then I've lived between Germany and New Zealand right up until now. Berlin, lived in Leipzig for a while. And now I'm uh, sort of Cologne's but become like the next base. So, yeah, there's so much of that story that can continue. But uh, that's about that sort of answers the question of how how I got to Germany. You save the rest yeah. for the memoirs. Eh? The juicy stuff. Yeah, sure. Oh, it's, I've, I've talked about it in some places, but yeah, there's, there's some pretty pretty fun stuff. What would you say the scenes like when you were there? The like differences between Berlin, Leipzig, and Cologne uh, musically. I mean, is there Berlin being the capital, of course, and being a bit more Cosmopolitan for choice of a better word, but you know, they there's just more of a scene there. So I was pretty much only in the singer songwriter folk scene, although Berlin I had some DJs find me on the street and asked me to record some songs with them. And uh they were Deep House DJs and they introduced me to the world of electronic music and it blew me away and completely changed me. So yeah, Berlin's very famous for its for its electronic scene especially it's techno scene and these really out pretty out there clubs um Berkine and Kit Kat and all these really pretty interesting edgy places Leipzig is known as, as little Berlin so I thought you know it's it's eastern Germany was still pretty cheap rent when I was there yeah I mean Berlin you it's unique in that you no one really cares what you wear or what you do uh, as long as you're not harming others, there's punks and there's like, you might be on the U-Bahn or the, the subway at like nine in the morning and there'll be a couple of, you know, there'll be a guy with a choker chain on on the ground with, with on a leash with another guy holding him full of leather and stuff, drinking beer and it's like 9.30 in the morning <laughs> on a Tuesday. So, you know, like it's just, no one even bats an eyelid in, in Berlin with that. Um, whereas I haven't seen that so much in, in some of the other cities, especially the ones down in the south and that. Um, it's a wee bit more... People dress up a bit more um, posh, I suppose, in some of those places. But musically, I don't, I can't comment because I, I just busked around the place and I busked all around Europe. Yeah, most of the Western Europe country, European countries, and yeah, some of the Eastern European countries, Czech Republic and Poland and a few others. So I didn't really get to see the different scenes. I was just in my own little folk singer-songwriter bubble when I was touring around. But there's definitely different moods and impressions. And atmospheres in the different cities in Germany. Cologne has this reputation, for example, of being incredibly friendly and welcoming and uh, multicultural. And you really feel it there. The people are really, really lovely. Berlin has the reputation, as you know, of being 
edgy and out there and kind of anything goes. But there's also a coldness and an anonymity to Berlin, which is, which is, some people like it, some people don't. Leipzig was a bit friendlier. Yeah, each of the little towns in Germany has its own, its own special characteristics, I'd say, in my experience at least. But yeah, musically, I just did the singer-songwriter thing for most of the time, just rocking around, you know. Was that how you how you started out in music? I mean, from an early age, were you kind of more into the kind of singer-songwriter folk scene when you started out in, in New Zealand? Yeah, from about 17, I started playing professionally in bars and cafes and stuff. And, the you know, the best way to do that was just with an acoustic guitar. You made, you know, it was easiest enough to accompany yourself and you made the most money. And I've done that for a good decade now. It's taken me, I think, across 20 countries or so and managed to pay just about all my bills for like a decade just from, mostly from acoustic music, which has been pretty awesome. Uh, weddings and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it was just a, the natural thing to fall into when I was in music school to, to get by and then that became the default thing. But at some point, after seeing a lot of the electronic music and going to the clubs and seeing the vibe there, I realised I don't want to make people cry, which I've done a bunch of times with music. So <laughs> I want to make them, I want to make them euphoric, and I want to make them dance, and I want to make them uh, maybe consider things and, and think. So I shifted, came back to New Zealand, put my head down, and took it seriously, and uh, formed formed my band Beacon Bloom, uh, which is just finished. Uh, just about finished a New Zealand tour this summer, which has been pretty, pretty awesome. I mean, you're on the side of the world where the regulations have been, I would say, completely different from where you know where I'm, where I'm speaking from in uh, in Dortmund or the UK or wherever it is. It seems to be that you've uh, you've been, you've been quite lucky in this respect to go out and play oh, and audiences and whatnot. It's been amazing because. Yeah, our lockdown was, we had the same lockdown that most of the world had in, in March. Ours only lasted like six weeks, the full one. And then there was regional ones sometimes. But pretty much after that, they managed to eliminate corona from the whole country. And we then we, the whole economy has been open for most of it. So we've been able to have, we've been able to throw incredible parties and play shows and do all the normal, pretty much normal life here. Yeah, it's fantastic. Pretty, Long may it run. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Speaking of that, was a nice segue into your band then, Beacon Bloom. So, how would you describe them? Is there a, is there an elevator pitch for the band? <laughs> Beacon Bloom. The intention of the project is to move people physically and emotionally. Every song is danceable, but isn't necessarily dance music, and it's has the creative constraint of electronica. So, there's electronic drums and electronic elements and synthesizers. My voice and my bandmate's voice, Jimmy, are on nearly every track. And we're quite genre fluid. It's hard to describe. It's always difficult to describe music, but we that is, usually isn't it? don't. F- yeah, but some some people are like, I love reggae, and I'm, we've got a re- roots reggae band, and that's what we do. And you can kind of imagine what it is. We are a wee bit more fluid with it, so it fits broadly in the genres of like electronica and melodic house. But yeah, it's pretty hard to define. Uh, soaring vocals, a lot of synths electronic drums, a uh, bit of psychedelic stuff in there. I mean, of course, the, the best way for people to find out for themselves is to go and check it out, right? That's the, the most, that's <laughs> yeah. the, it works for everyone. Uh, infl- influences, Ryan? So there's, there's like, uh, Jeff Buckley's one of my, personally one of my main, probably foundational influences. He's just the most incredible 
male vocalist. Other musical ones. Radiohead was pretty big. There's a band called Bonobo, the British down tempo producer. But saw them play live in 2018, and that's kind of what kicked off the band. That's what really gave the energy to the start of the band, because it's just... We were right at the front, right in front of the subs, and he had a full band drummer and horn section and singer, and he was playing bass and doing some electronic stuff and synths. And it's like, um, it's really gorgeous music that you can, again, you can listen to or you can dance to a lot of it. But yeah, it just blew me away just seeing that live, just inspired, proper inspiration, you know. There's so many other ones, uh, a lot of life itself and a lot of the psychedelic world and yeah, craziness of Berlin and the electronic scene and the podcast itself has taken my mind and all sorts of strange places mm. inevitably ends back in, into it. I don't know if that answers the question sufficiently, but <laughs> how that influences. Our strength has been live performance. We just managed to play, uh, I think it was our eighth show ever, was after New, one of New Zealand's biggest bands at one of New Zealand's biggest festivals on New Year's Eve at like one in the morning on the main stage, we managed to get that slot on like our eighth show ever. So just super blessed and super lucky to have landed that. But yeah, our live show is our, is our strength at the moment. And this this year we're focusing a little bit more on, on streaming and audience, global audience building. But yeah, right now the strength has been our live shows because we also throw these, myself in a, in a big collective here in, in Altatahi Christchurch in New Zealand have been throwing these... Um, they're called intentional events and they're these immersive art parties with electronic music, big focus on harm reduction, big focus on connection and secret venues beyond the restrictions of having a commercial venue in New Zealand, which are quite restrictive. Yeah, everyone dresses up in costumes and there's musical night and there's different zones. There's like chill out temple zones and there's art all over the walls everywhere and there's projection mapping and there's... It's just there's like theatrical stuff that takes over the party and it was a big welcoming ceremony at our last one with big flamethrowers and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, the bands played, we've sort of cut our teeth at those events that we've been a part of curating. And um, so the live thing's really been the strength. But, yeah, we're, we're shifting our focus to the to the streaming and the global audience building this year. So in Germany, I'll be I'll be doing a few DJ gigs if there's any gigs available. <laughs> um, <laughs> otherwise, we'll just be focusing on um, yeah, getting songs released and produced and mixed and and written, R- writing some more stuff. <laughs> Go get the, the heavy lifted out <laughs> the way first, though. Yeah, 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 exactly. So Beacon Bloom is made up of myself, uh, James Allen, and Joss. Doggett at the moment. Thomas Asbestos, the drummer that you would have seen, or might have been John T. O'Connor. There's, there's a revolving cast of, of very talented... Awesome you did the spinal tap of drummers thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we're, we're, we're being a wee bit more electronic at the moment, but um, yeah, both of those guys, Thomas and, and John T. are incredible drummers. So it's basically James and I came together after a project that was before Beacon Bloom uh, called Cosmic Tortoise, which was also the podcast's initial name had this idea to make a podcast that was a name and then the band would be the name and then it would be like a festival and it'd be all this stuff together but it got too confusing so we rebranded both of the things but yeah jimmy joined he he always wanted to do he told me he always wanted to do a dance a live dance band as well so he's super creative he's amazing at writing really interesting harmony and music and he's he's a very talented musician himself he can play pretty much all the instruments and 
instant harmonizer with vocals and things like that. Yeah, John T and Thomas are good friends. They've known them for years and played in a bunch of different, a whole bunch of different projects with them. And they've both got their own solo projects, which are epic. And Joss is a friend we met in late 2019 at a festival we helped curate. And he's a uh, ridiculously talented DJ who's come on board with us um, to DJ, but he's also musical. So we'll be he'll be moving into synth playing and production and stuff when we get enough time to sit in the studio <laughs> and figure that out. Yeah, so the band just came together and then a whole team emerged. You know, videographers appeared and, you know, photographers appeared and uh, had, a, had a couple of awesome sound, sound people. And, yeah, the team just sort of slowly emerged and is growing and, a good friend of mine's doing the the merchandise for us. He has a, a, a whole fashion brand and clothing brand that he's that he started, and so we're working with him. And it's a really cool collaborative, creative ecology in, in Christchurch at the moment. There's a real melting pot of really talented people going for it with their art. And uh, Beacon Bloom's a bit of a, a shelling point for that. You know, it's like a place, it's an excuse for a bunch of people to get together, and and some of these parties or festivals we throw groups come along and it's just beacon looms there and the performances there and that's part of it but the community's another big part of it as well which is really amazing it's just emerged in the last kind of the last two years and especially after um after the whole crisis it's really amplified all of that and brought it together we're we're picking up the baton from the likes of Radiohead and Moderat, which are Moderat are a German electronic band. They're they're amazing. They're probably a big influence too, to be fair. Uh, and Rufus to Soul also been around. They they do kind of the deep house with vocals thing. If you mixed Chris Martin from Coldplay with deep house in a good way, <laughs> then it'd be Rufus, I guess. <laughs> We're in a we're and then there's another band called Who Made Who. If, I think they're from um, they're from Denmark and they're really fun and awesome. All of those guys are doing similar stuff to us. Um, well, we're perhaps we're doing similar stuff to them. I'd say our point of difference is that our, we're we're a lot more genre fluid. Yeah, we've got pop songs and deep house tracks and space disco tracks and and that's quite nice. We quite enjoy that our songs aren't too samey. They're quite very quite varied. It's just like whatever comes out of the creative process can be you know I th- I'm starting to to come to the conclusion that um, most of songwriting is like trash and then you get you it's like gold mining you know like if you're mining for some precious alloy in the earth right most of it's going to be soil or something which you're not looking for and then you're going to find the precious alloy and I think that's the same with the creative process I read that um, Mozart and a few of the other great composers did that and, a, and also a bunch of I can't remember contem- who the contemporary songwriters in that were but they just write they just put out heaps and heaps and heaps of stuff um, not put it out but creatively output mm. heaps of stuff and then choose the best things and so that's kind of what we do we've, we've got hundreds of demos and you just pick out the gold and some you know the creative process for us is pretty random and we just follow it where it goes it can end up in being in a, a weird space disco track or it can be a, a piano uh, ballad that we t- turn into a bit of a tune it can have post-rock elements it just goes kind of all over the show but it's still still somehow united there's a few unitary elements of the, of the vocal the feeling and the, the danceability of it keeps it somewhat contained but a live show with us is, is very varied and it's not um, 
It's not repetitive, that's, that's for sure. One of the things about, like you just mentioned there, kind of could be a pop song or some kind of psychedelic feel to it. But what I liked about the, the tracks that I've seen on YouTube, or at least the live performances, you're not really restricted by time either. You know, if it goes seven minutes or um, longer, whatever it is, it's just it's kind of it. It takes its own form, and I really like that. It builds up, and you can you, you can let it breathe. You know, yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with the three minute pop song, of course. I mean, that's the, by got, itself. That's those exactly right. Those that's. Yeah. But I kind of like that way when you can have just uh, see what happens and let it go. You know, but you still need a bit of. Uh, oh, speaking for myself, and you still need a bit of um, discipline to kind of keep it without. Too much jamming. Maybe this is me speaking as a drummer. I don't know, but you know, like I have to keep doing the same bit for like the next two minutes, or you know. Yeah, yeah, that is tricky. Um, yeah, it, both Thomas and John Deere think it's not particularly fun for drummers to be playing house music sometimes because <laughs> it's just it's, 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 you know it's like the same. Sometimes it's the same groove for like five minutes with a couple of fills, maybe. But yeah, for drummers, it maybe isn't sometimes isn't quite as fun. It's all about the music at the end of the day. It's, if it's going to breathe, as you say, it's going to breathe. It's going to do its thing. It's going to expand and contract as it as it needs to and as it feels right, I suppose. And some songs are long and some songs are like, as you say, three minutes and that's all they need. So you get some really nice looking websites that kind of quite, you know, it just tells us what you're going to do and um, you have your own uh, Ryan Ferris website, then there's a Beacon Bloom website, and the third one in the trilogy, I don't even know if it is a trilogy, there might be more, is, you, is your own podcast. Maybe you can tell us a little about that too. You're up to 50 plus episodes? No, you're more than 50 episodes now, right? Eh? 53, 54 will be up later today, I think. Yeah, yeah. so the, the there's like the Ryan Ferris music one, which is an old website, which I've just basically said, go check out Beacon Bloom, that's where we're at. <laughs> so the podcast started i think three years ago just this podcast was starting to, to come on on their way up and initially i didn't really know what it was going to be it slowly transformed itself into being an examination of transhumanism through every lens possible so transhumanism is the self-directed transformation of homo sapien humans into whatever the next species is so like uh we we were around at the same time as the Neanderthal before they disappeared and uh, we were our predecessors were like Homo erectus and a few other um, hominoid species and going all the way back and at some point Homo sapiens which is the modern human it'd be impossible to say that the new uh, the new humans are the same as, as the Homo sapiens so uh, I think you you've all know Harari turned them Homo, homo deus Mm -hmm. I think it's something to do with um, gods. Sapiens is to do with language, I believe. So, so we're already doing this. You know, this trend is already happening. There's already, uh, you know, implants and, and genetic engineering, and uh, even just the phone is, is a huge extension of identity and interface into this massive digital space, which is completely changing us as as people and as as our goals and our identity and our um, values and all sorts of things. So. Anything that pushes towards that transformation into the new thing is, is transhumanism. And so it's it's a global trend and it's an important thing and it's an important thing to pay attention to and to figure out what parts of our uh, legacy human system we want to keep, what parts are good, 
and what parts aren't so good, how we, how we want to transcend those. And yeah, if it's going to happen regardless, it seems to be. There's a lot of crazy stuff with AI and with you know, Elon Musk's Neuralink and it's accelerating pretty quickly. And if it's going to happen, it seems like it's going to happen whether we want it to or not. It'd be good to do it in a skillful way rather than a dystopian way. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been talking to professors from, you know, likes of Harvard and authors and scientists and artists and musicians and online curators and bloggers and all sorts of people giving their different perspectives on on their particular fields, but also on, on life and on humanity and just figuring it all out, just, just getting as many different lenses as possible, kind of coming to my own conclusions. And it's taken me on a wild intellectual ride all around the world and into a whole different bunch of niche spaces and it's starting to make its way also into the band as well. And the band's probably going to make its way into the podcast. So it's all a big, <laughs> all a big exploration. Yeah. Some of the guests on the, the podcast, I've listened to a couple of the episodes myself, but the one we were just talking to before we started was from the Know Your Meme website. And it was kind of interesting just to see how the, as you get into it with your guests about how the meme started and the kind of importance it, plays and now it seems like every other day there's a new meme like one that goes viral so the one that's just come out is the megan and harry with oprah oh, when, yeah, when right. they were doing this interview in oprah's face she's doing this kind of looked away in shock horror type thing you know yeah, 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 and of course yeah. before that it was like the bernie sanders one where he just appears with his jacket on yeah, sitting yeah, outside yeah. in the cold and all that kind of stuff so just as a reference point you know the um, what significance would you say like the, the meme has in this respect? So that chat was with Don Corwell. He's the managing editor of Know Your Meme. And Know Your Meme uh, sort of uh, archives and sort of – it's kind of like a historical archive of the internet through the meme space. Memes are really interesting. It's, you know, one one analog of it would be the old comics that you used to see in, you know, newspapers and stuff. And they're kind of a – a lot of them – you know, Don, Don talked about them evolving. You know, the early ones were just kind of silly, kind of benign advice dog, you know, pay for your pizza with snakes. And it's this dog like, you know, just these kind of silly memes or even earlier ones were silly, but they've become increasingly cutting and political and have occupied different parts of, of the political sphere and, and the and the great war of ideas, which is going on online and in the meme space, the meme space is the battle of belief across the world. And it's actually, it's actually kind of like the most important battle there is for us, right? Like every single meme, uh, a meme isn't just like a, a, a pixelated image on the internet, you know, with some weird words under it. A meme is a, basically an, an idea that's viral, that, that spreads. And, you know, Richard Dawkins um, coined the term a bit like genes, you know, there's like the gene pool and genes are passed down to generations. Memes are like a, they're an idea that will propagate in populations and make its way around the population and have certain influence. And some of them become viral and some of them don't. Some of them will change the way people think. So there can be very like complex, multi-layered memes. Um, and some of them are just like silly ones, like the advice dog or whatever. Don Corbels, um, he's been in that space for a long time. They've been collecting a lot of the memes. He's seen, you know, he can see a lot of the trends of the internet, which things are becoming popular it's kind of like the, the subconscious of the internet is almost expressed through memes. And some of them are just a, are a lot more cutting than, you know, article will be or anything else. It's just a lot of it can be summed up in this, this small picture. But yeah, the war of ideas is, is, 
it's important and it's um it happens in meme space well, I mean, in the past, we had the caricatures or the cartoonists in newspapers and this kind yeah. of print medium and uh, taking it forward or until the, the likes of Gerald Scarf doing the work with uh, Pink Floyd and so on and all that, you know, and you had these, he also did a lot of political uh, cartoons and stuff like that. Mm. I was interested to hear also that Richard Dawkins name. I wasn't as you get into it in the episode yeah. with uh, with Don. It was kind of I was like Richard Dawkins. Was that really? <laughs> yeah, yeah <he laughs> it wasn't really the name that I was expected to come up with. You know, it was kind yeah. of like all right. So that's what he's been doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think he came up with that term quite a while ago. It's it's super loose as it is. Like it's you know the transhumanist thing is is really loose and part of it, and it can encompass nearly anything. So I. Don't, I think that'll probably stay the the loose focal point of it, but it's sort of at the moment it sort of leads itself. You know, um, one episode and one bit of intellectual exploration might lead to a book that I'll read, or a particular person, or something will come up, and then that will lead me to go to the next person. So yeah, one of the ones, one of the people I talked to. So J- there's a guy called Jim Rutt, and he's got a podcast. And he recommended a book called Sand Talk by Tyson Younger-Porter, who's an uh, an indigenous man from Australia who's also a complex systems theorist. So he sits in this really interesting middle middle point. And he's he's written this incredible book called Sand Talk, which is part novel, part complex systems theory, part uh, dreaming story, like the indigenous Australian dreaming story part sand talk itself which is when the indigenous people of australia would, would draw these symbols in the sand and and yarn and talk about um different ideas and stories it's really difficult to describe this book but i heard that in jim Rutt's podcast and i reached out to tyson he's been on the podcast um there's going to be another episode with him released soon and then that sent me on a you know each of them sends me on different trajectories that sent me on a um trajectory to find out more about the indigenous people of new zealand and hence, I inter- interviewed um, Benjamin's, who's Benjamin's McCarthy, who's a skydiver, uh, te reo Māori teacher, yoga teacher, and all sorts of stuff. And then, because of him, almost in a way, I've thought about more about how, learning more about the synthesis of New Zealand culture. This um, the New Zealand Europeans that came and sort of did the colony thing. New Zealand as one of the best places in the world that's managed to merge the cultures, but it's still it's still happening and it's still getting better. There's still a lot of work to do. So I'm really interested in seeing how that synthesis happens. So I'm even I just found out that my one of our flatmates who just lives below us in the house below us, she's um, studied Maori like traditional Maori healing, for example, which is pretty interesting. So I'm going to be talking to her tomorrow. And then a, a chat that I had with Mango uh, Mango Dogwood, who's in the crypto space last week has sent the band on a full crazy trajectory into the crypto space. So it's just like things happen and then it sends sends you off somewhere and then I go to the next place and then things just seem to keep emerging as time goes on. Just really fun. <laughs> it's a really fun uh, emergent well, process. It, it definitely sounds like it. And um, I look forward to dipping into a few more of the episodes. Uh, I like it on your website you've put, you've given us like a, if people are maybe a bit not perplexed, but they're a bit, where do you start with a subject like this, right? Because it's, yeah. so you put you put like a top five at the top of the page 
or a list of episodes where people can kind of dip in and then maybe it's a bit more accessible or yeah and w- what is quite nice about it as well is you you seem to quite like the the long format you know there's not so much of a you see how the conversation goes and then it just kind of develops and it maybe takes its natural course it's maybe not a subject you could put maybe 20 minutes on or maybe you could i don't know yeah you, you could you just have to narrow it down to like one topic i guess one one little been advised to make bite-sized episodes for people that are commuting in 20 minutes. <laughs> okay, right, because this, this is this is the kind of curse of the podcast, right, because sometimes things just happen. And uh, I did a, an episode recently where I just I just kept it. As, I kept more or less the whole thing and just put it in two parts. And that's because uh, it was too much. It was, a, it was a good conversation. There's a nice flow. And then you yeah. think, well, because you just edit it. There's nothing left, you know. It's just like you've taken it. You're just like, oh, okay, this is a... This is not really the point. So, but yeah, it's finding that nice sweet spot between the half hour to 40 minutes. Yeah. How about we take a look at a top five? I'll give you, I'll yeah, give sure. you a couple of questions. Okay. I'll give you the first question. A guilty pleasure. The first one that comes to mind is Robbie Williams, but I'm not guilty about it. I'm like, I'm right. Yeah, yes. Great, right. You know? <laughs> okay. You know that way when you find yourself thinking, yeah, I shouldn't really be big in this, but it's quite this. good, you know? Uh, you know what? I, I think if there's anything I genuinely like, I just own it. I'm just like, no, nah, I like it. And I don't really care, you know? Like Robbie, Robbie Williams might be one, you know, that people would, other people might find a bit strange or something, you know, or it's uncool now or something, but he's great. Like just, To his, just to his credit, he had... Uh, I don't know if he still does, but to his credit, he had a lot of uh, good songwriters working with him. The guy, Guy, yeah. I think his name's Guy Chambers or something, but he worked a lot in the past with some other, you know, he was like the brains, if you like, behind the behind the songs. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just, I I, like, he was a vibe and he did his thing and he also did some awesome swing stuff. I don't know. I, I, that would be someone's guilty pleasure, I guess, but I'm just, I'll just totally own it and just say, that's the first thing that came to mind. I'll just say Robert Williams. Fair enough. <laughs> Who should we be listening to, Ryan? Tell us someone that maybe we're not familiar with, but you're going to put that right for us. Noah Gunnison album, Ledgers. It's folk, folk artist from Seattle. Amazing album. That would be the one, I'd say. Reminiscent of anyone in particular? No, he's actually very much got his own voice. Yeah, I couldn't put a reminiscent thing on it. I'd just say, if you're into, if you like folk music... Listen to Noah Gunderson. The other for other folk artist that's amazing and also album-wise, just been listening to again recently, is The Staves. And I'd say the first album, Dead, Born and Grown by The Staves. That one or Noah Gunderson, Ledgers, are both just amazing folk albums, modern folk albums. Yeah, Fantastic. Always good to get some new stuff for the playlist. Uh, go-to karaoke song, right? If I could sing it, would be... Um, you're the voice by John Farnham. Whoa, yeah, that's a bit of, a bit of an epic. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do karaoke, you <laughs> I don't know. You need to grow, oh, a, but you need to grow a particular uh, 1980s hair thing for that as well. I think yeah, just to oh, give yeah, it the, yeah, the full yeah. rendition. You might that's need a, a classic. Or something for that. That's <laughs> yeah, it's absolute, a classic. It's an absolute tune. Yeah. Uh, favorite venue, a place that you have either played yourself or one of these places that you would like to play in the future? The town hall here in, in Altatagi Christchurch is awesome. Just the town hall is like amazingly 
acoustically engineered building. That would be really great. The other dream venue would be the somewhere in the Funkhaus in Berlin. Uh, have you heard about the Funk, the Funkhaus? I know of it, yeah. Yeah, it was it was designed in the DDR time, you know, like so, when the Soviets had the eastern side. It's an incredible, crazy place. Like I've done some recording there, and it's they have an entire concert hall that doesn't even have seats. It's just for recording. Like it's got a few seats, but it's not like a proper concert hall. It's just for recording uh, classical music and stuff. And they got some of the best acoustic rooms in, in the world there. They've got like they've got these clocks in the building that used to encode the encoded messages that they'd send, right? So like the, the the clock as it turned would like change some kind of mechanism on the coding, and then that would help send the coded message out. And those clocks are still there. Yeah, amazing acoustic space. The town hall in Christchurch is amazing. We played one I've played in. We uh, when I was about eighteen or so, uh, we snuck into in a. Uh, damaged water reservoir near my house and millions held millions of liters of water and it's just this, basically this, this insanely giant concrete tank um cavernous thing and the decay time on the reverb in there was like 15 seconds or something crazy so you go like, whoa and i go whoa for like 10 15 seconds so we, we snuck in there and recorded a song some songs in there um they're on youtube actually <laughs> and that was like really crazy. I've never experienced anything like that. That amount of natural reverb in the space was like bonkers. Um, <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I like venues. Yeah, I like acoustics. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't you can't be there. Some places you go and it's just a functional workspace or a, a functional live space, but then there's other places you go where the as you were just describing there about the, either the natural reverb or echoes you're getting, or, or a building for that matter, or just the room itself. It doesn't have to yeah. be a particularly great aesthetic, but just the, the sounds in the room. Yeah, exactly. Tell us someone you don't get, right? I don't want to use the word overrated, but there's a, an artist or something and you just think everyone's like raving about them and you just think, uh. Probably Kanye. Kanye West would probably be the one. Like I, I saw him... As a person and as a creative force and as a public personality, he's actually pretty interesting, uh, especially after seeing him on, on Joe Rogan for like two hours or whatever it was mm. and actually seeing the way his brain functions and works and his vision for what he wants to create is actually pretty interesting and generally pretty positive, I think. But musically, I just never really got, you know, he's been called a genius so many times. So I just didn't, never really got it. I really hmm. understood why people were I, so into it. Uh, the other one would be Beck. I just nothing. People also say the same about Beck. He's a genius. He's amazing. Uh, even even um, what was his name? Uh, Pharrell uh, referenced a song by Beck, and I listened to it, and I was just like, Pharrell was blown away by it. I thought it was incredible, and I listened to it, and I was just like, this is. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, I don't you're waiting for the penny to drop. You know, you're just kind of yeah. like, okay, and, and it never happens. Eh? Yeah, Kanye's yeah. an interesting one because it's. Uh, I remember watching the the Glastonbury concert he did. I don't know how many years ago, two years ago, or three years ago, fairly recently, and it's just him on the stage, of course, on his own, and yeah, that was it. And I just thought, yeah, okay, <laughs> I yeah, don't know. It just, didn't didn't do yeah. anything for me at all. You know. If it doesn't resonate with us, resonates with millions of people, and that's that's awesome. I mean, that's that's art and that's music. I wouldn't say it's bad it's, at all. I'd just say it's just whatever he's up to doesn't it doesn't. I just don't get it. 
Aye. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? That, that, yeah. That's what that's, yeah. that's what that question is really for. Is you just don't yeah, get yeah. it. You're just like, I guess it's me then, you know? Yeah. Although I will put one disclaimer there. I did see recently he did a really hard-hitting, like, dark hip-hop piece about America with a video, and that was really heavy and really hard. Like, okay, I, got, I think I got that one. That hit. But... That was the only thing that I've seen one that, that really had it. I've tried out a bunch of his stuff. I just had to put a disclaimer in there because there was that one that one. Okay. So maybe, maybe this is the difference when he's going into like a social commentary as opposed to a kind of, mm. here's just a track off the album kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, potentially, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ryan, where can we find you then? What, what about your social media links? You can find the podcast at The Good Timeline on Twitter. You can also find it at The Good Timeline on Instagram or at thegoodtimeline.com. You can find Beacon Bloom at beaconbloom.com and at beaconbloom on Instagram. Uh, Beacon Bloom's also on Spotify. Both of them are on pretty much all the platforms. So The Good Timeline or Beacon Bloom. Beacon like a light, bloom like a flower. And we've, uh, yeah, there's some nice live footage there on YouTube as well that people can kind of... Uh, take a look at the band and see how it all works, right? <laughs> the mechanics yeah, sure. of it we've, all. We've got, there's a video coming out on Friday. I don't know when this podcast will come out, but that'll be on the tw- on the 12th of March, 2021. The video will be there. So if this, if this is out before or after, that'll maybe next, already be out. <laughs> next weekend. <laughs> this is the joys of uh, recording all that. Yeah, probably yeah. not this weekend, the weekend after. So it'll yeah, be a week, a week after. It'll, it'll be already out. Uh, right. Part two. It'll be on our YouTube. Fantastic. Ryan, thanks very much for your time. It's been a blast. Thank you. And um, yeah, good luck in Cologne. When do you think you'll uh, arrive? Or you have a date? Uh, yeah, I'll be in Cologne in June. Yep. So I'll be, if, with any luck, the country will be open a bit more and I'll be rocking around. So if I'm in Dortmund, I'll have to flick you a message so we can get a pint or something. Right. Oh, the cheeky pint's always good, mate. You know, or uh, if you're playing in this neck of the woods at all, yeah. let us know and we'll. Yeah. Um, We'll come, we'll swing by. Thanks very much, Ryan. Thanks, Greg. Cheers, man. You can follow Can't Find My Way Home on Instagram at can't.findmywayhome, on Facebook at expat music pod. And of course, you can find us on Spotify, Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts from, you'll find us there. Until the next one, this is Greg saying, cheers. Cheers.